Good morning, guys. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, glad you guys have joined us this morning. Um, welcome to May. Uh, for all of our college students, congratulations on successfully making it through another school year, uh, especially to our graduates. Good job. Well done. There were a lot of parties this weekend, and uh, I hope you celebrated well and were celebrated thoroughly. Uh, that's a huge accomplishment to make it through the school year and especially to graduate. So we've had a lot of fun um, celebrating with our college students. So good job. All right, we're going to James. Grab your Bibles. If you have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going to James chapter 3. That'll be, be page 1012. In our Bibles, page 1012. We've all heard the childhood rhyme, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, uh, but words will never hurt me, right? Maybe your mom taught that to you to deal with uh, childhood bullying. Uh, I don't know if you've realized it yet, but she lied to you. I'm just being honest. She did. Um, it was a well-meaning lie. I have no doubt she intended to equip you to face the onslaught of middle school. Um, but the reality is, it's just not true, right? I, I mean, I'm, seriously, I've got, I have countless, I've just had so many cuts and bruises, and, and, and I, have, I have scars. I don't know how I got them, right? Literally, physical scars on my body that I really don't even remember what I did uh, to get them. But, but I still remember the insults I heard when I was in elementary school. I still hear the mocking of, of kids in the locker room um, in middle school. I, I, I still remember people that were supposed to speak life into me, whether they were parents or teachers or, or other positions of influence who, who didn't speak life but spoke hurtful things. Um, I also remember, um, not as well, honestly, but I still remember that there were key moments when others spoke words that gave me courage, when I was tempted to be afraid, that, that, um, that, that gave me joy, when I was sorrowful, or, or gave me hope, when I felt desperate. Um, here's the thing, God created us with this unique and powerful thing called the ability to speak, <laughs> the ability to use Words. It is one of the most, and, and, and possibly the most, powerful expression of human intimacy. I don't know if you ever think about it. I mean, we just, we talk so much, we lose our wonder at what is actually happening when we speak. I mean, think about what words are. Words are just phonemes. They're just sounds that are strung together in strange ways. And, and the sound of the voice carrying it across, the words themselves... And the voice, the human voice, have tremendous power. Just the experience of hearing a voice is, is powerfully and intensely personal. There's an agreement between the speaker and the hearer. We have it this morning. I'm going to speak sounds that you're going to hear, and we've agreed on the meaning of those sounds. We have, we have agreed on how those sounds can be strung together in a way that communicate meaning and power and emotion, right? There is a, an emotional connection and an intellectual connection between a speaker and a hearer. There is a common connection that ties us together, and it needs to be both personal, human, 
an intellectual, an agreement on what the sounds mean, right? Because I can say to you, wo I ni, and it's probably not going to have a whole lot of impact, and I'm probably mispronouncing it anyway, but it's Mandarin for I love you, right? If you don't know what it means, the sounds themselves aren't going to carry the meaning. We have to have an agreement, not just of the personal connection, but of what those words mean. If I say I love you, if someone comes up and says I love you, you're going to have a response. It might be joyful. It might be weirdly awkward, right? You don't want to hear those words from everybody. Um, in some cases, that's just really strange, right? So, so they carry power, though. Words are a powerful form of human intimacy. And that's what I'm trying to get at here. It, it, we, we deal with language so much that I think we, we honestly lose our wonder at it, and we, we lose, really, the, a, a grasp of just how powerful the spoken word is. We are unique in the created order. And I believe it is part of being image bearers of God that we have the great privilege and power to put thought into sound and in those sounds create a common experience of intimacy and meaning. Helen Keller, who, because of a childhood illness, dealt with lifelong blindness and deafness, is noted for saying in her observation that blindness separates you from things, but Deafness separates you from people. Even after she learned to communicate through sign language and by reading Braille, uh, she actually became a very effective and persuasive communicator over the course of her life. Um, she still, in her adult life, mourned the fact that she couldn't hear a human voice. She was still isolated. She could communicate, she could agree on the communication piece, but it was the personal piece. She longed to be able to hear her own voice communicating things that she really intensely wanted to say with people she really intensely cared for them to hear it. She wanted to hear their voice, she wanted to hear her own, but she was separated from that world of intimacy. Speaking. So it shouldn't surprise us, you guys, that, that speaking is one of the most powerfully intimate things we can do. And even though it is one of the most common things we do, we speak nonstop, right? We, we talk all the time and, 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 and we take it for granted, but to speak words and to take words in has the power, as the book of Proverbs says, to give life or to take it, to make someone's day or to ruin it to make someone's life, to give life or to rob life. The problem is, is that we use our words to take life much more than we realize. We, we um, man, we, we not only have lost the wonder at language, I think we have in many ways lost our ability to understand the power of our words. And James this morning is going to be taking the role a little bit of a prophet. And, and you can kind of tell, James, this is wisdom literature. He's, he's running in a vein of the Old Testament wisdom speaker, but there's a prophetic vein in this as well. And, and prophets, the Old Testament prophets, man, they would come in, and, and their job often was to rip off the blinders that keep us from seeing reality. They come in, and, and, and they're not gentle. They come in and they announce truth in a way that it shakes us and causes us to see ourselves and see the world around us in a fresh and a new way, in a real way. And the reality is, is we simply do not understand the power of our tongues. We do not 
esteem the damage we do. And so James prophetically is going to challenge us in regard to our tongues. And he's also going to call us to something better. Because we're going to need to grow in grace if we're going to learn how to give life with our words. That's the bottom line. We are going to have to grow in grace if we are going to learn how to give life with our words. So let's take a look at James chapter 3. We're looking at verses 1 through 12 together. I'm going to read this out loud. You follow along. And then we're going to unpack it. All right, James chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so verses 1 and 2 start off uh, with this warning about being a teacher. Uh, that's always fun. Um, hey, all right, this is directed at me, right? And, and others who also take positions of authority in the community to teach. And, and James is basically saying, I'm not sure you want this job, right? You really should be reluctant to take this responsibility. Don't be eager uh, to be a teacher, right? Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Um, so this sets up two ways we can approach this passage. We can approach the whole passage as a warning to Christian teachers, basically saying um, uh, you need to be really careful because Christian teachers, people who are in positions of influence in the Christian community, whether they are up front giving sermons or, or are, are in the downstairs rooms teaching kids or, or are leading small group Bible studies or are community groups leading discussions, when you take a position of leadership in the Christian community, your words have power. And your words will shape the experience and character of the community. There's tremendous power in positions of influence. And you'll be held accountable for that power. God will hold you accountable for taking that platform and you'll be held accountable for how you use it. So you can take this whole passage as an exhortation toward teachers. Or you can take verse 1 as a transitionary statement where he's like, okay, I'm going to warn teachers and make sure they're included, but then I'm going to bridge off into a broader discussion of the tongue that applies to everyone. 
right? It, it, is, it is a transition into this more broad issue of speech that he's already touched on several times in the letter as he is cycling through his themes. Whichever way we take it, what we find here is a prophetic call to see the power of our speech and to repent of its misuse. He's coming to us with a warning because our words are dangerous. We don't see them as that way. They're just words. It's just a joke. We're just talking. We're just laughing. We're just wasting time. We don't even remember 80% of the words that come out of our mouths. We're just uttering things. Just blah, blah, blah. It's just a way of passing time. It's a way of sharing space. And he's saying, your words, your words have power. And you will be accountable for what they do. Teachers influence entire communities, but all people influence their circles of, of, of friends and, and influence. And what's interesting is that people crave that influence. People crave the platform. They, they love to have power. They love to have the ability to, to influence. It makes them feel important. It makes them feel significant. And, and during this period of time when this letter was written, um, you know, you, you, you needed to move into positions of authority to have that kind of influence, right? And they saw people who did, and they, and they kind of craved their, their platform. What's interesting about today uh, is that you don't need to be recognized by any group of people to, to get a platform. Uh, your satisfaction for platforming is, is going to be met every day by your social media use because you can platform your voice and broadcast it to an unknown audience. Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, blogs, whatever else there is. There are new ones every single day. Um, here's the thing. We're, as a, a culture, as a human culture, we're speaking more than any other human culture in human history. We are, there are so many words flowing out of us at all times. Not just verbally, but, but in, in, our, in our Facebook feeds and in our blogs and in, in our, we are just speaking more words, I think, than probably any group in human history because we have a greater technological leverage to do so. We can broadcast our words across the world with a single push of a button. And I don't think we're better off for it. In fact, I would argue that we're getting worse. More words doesn't equal greater understanding. More words doesn't equal greater righteousness. Why? Take a look at verses 5 and 6. In 5 and 6, he says, So the tongue is a small member, but it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. You guys, he's, he's making a pretty clear point that the tongue is dangerous, comparing it to fire, right? It's so small, but it can create such a raging blaze. Why is it so dangerous? He tells us. He says right here that it is a, your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Your tongue is a world of unrighteousness, which is a really weird phrase. What in the world does that even mean? How is your tongue a world 
of unrighteousness. Well, the Greek word for world here is cosmos. It's the same word we've been discussing because it's one of the sub-themes running through this entire letter, right? It, it is this idea of worldliness, right? World, cosmos. When you think of the cosmos, you think of the ordered system of planets and universes and stars. The cosmos, it, it speaks of an ordered system, right? When it talks about it being a world of unrighteousness, it's talking about how we have an ordered system. We have a way of doing life that is designed to get the blessing of God apart from the presence of God. We have a way of doing life that is driven by a worldliness in our hearts that is the Genesis 3 sin replicated in human experience generation after generation after generation where we say to God, we will be like God. We will not submit to God. We will define the boundaries of our own realities. We will tell our own stories. We will mark our own glory. We will provide for our own security. We will be like God. We will not be dependent on God. We won't live for God's glory. We won't live in submission to God's love. We will live in competition with God because we want to be like God. Our tongues flow from this worldliness. You guys, worldliness isn't one of our problems. It is our problem. Worldliness is the heart of our problem. It is the greatest sin in the human life. And you're like, Steve, I've heard before that pride is the greatest sin in the human life, right? Absolutely. That's what worldliness is. It is the insane pride to think that I, a creature, a man of mud, can be equal to God. That I can be as smart as God and as powerful as God and as glorious as God and as beautiful as God and, and, and I can tell a better story than God. It is the insanity of pride. But it is manifest in the subtlety of self-deception that basically says, I can get the blessing of God apart from God. I can get all the goodness and the richness and fullness of life on my terms, in my way, apart from submitting to the God who gives it. Worldliness, worldliness. The tongue is one of the most powerful ways we express our worldliness. It comes out in what we say. It comes out in how we say it. It comes out in who we say it to. It just bleeds out because it is in here. It is a heart problem. What that tells us is the use of our tongue, the use of our language, what James is getting at here, is not an issue of self-control. Right? It is not an issue of, 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 of self-discipline. It is not a self-control problem. It is not a niceness problem. It is not a politeness problem. <laughs> Most of us think we're nice people, don't we? By and large. I'm a pretty nice person. I, I get along with with people around me, I, I, you know, as long as they're cool, I'm cool, right? As long as you're not a, as long as you're not a jerk, as long as you're not the slow guy in the fast lane, I'm okay with you, right? I'm, I, I can tolerate your existence around me and often be generally pleasurable in your direction, right? Um, I, I, I can be an, I, we just think of ourselves as generally nice people, right? It takes a real jerk to bring the jerk out in here. It takes something outside of me to provoke that thing, because that's not really who I am. I'm not really that person that is so ugly when they're angry. I'm not really that person that yelled at my kids. My kids were just real jerks that day, right? They did that to me. 
I'm not really the person who, who said that nasty thing about that person I'm jealous of because I don't even want to admit I'm jealous of them. I don't envy them. I don't talk about them incessantly because I'm obsessed with them and wish I was them. No, I hate them. I don't hate them. That's too... No, I just... I, I don't even think about them. I don't even, see, we, do you, do you, the games we play, the layers of self-justification, the stories upon stories upon stories that we tell that cloud our genuine motivations, we think of ourselves as nice people. If other people would just be reasonable, we'd all be good. You guys, nothing brings out your true nature, not your false nature, your true nature like circumstances or people who remind you that you're not God. Nothing brings out your true nature more than being reminded that you are not God because you desperately want to believe the Genesis 3 lie that you can be like God. And when your kids refuse to submit, When your kids refuse to be bribed, they will not behave in public no matter how much candy you give them. When when your boss refuses to acknowledge, when you don't get the security and control you think you need or deserve, when you don't get the respect that you think is due you, when you don't get the personal affirmation from somebody you know owes it to you, your true nature comes out. See, when people remind us that we're not God, when circumstances remind us that we're not in control, that we're not respectable, when, we're, when, when life conspires against our niceness, that's when we often get a glimpse of our true nature. When people or things get in the way of your delusional need to be God, you get a little grumpy, don't you? Maybe. A little irritable. Maybe, right? Have, a, have you know, we know how to, I'm just having a bad day. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not myself today. Really? <laughs> what you mean is, is you're not able to pretend to be this person you're pretending to be today. Your true nature is coming out. It is, it is the, it is the angst and, and the anger and the desperate sorrow and the desperation to be like God. Because the world's a terrifying place if you're not God. The world's a terrifying place if you cannot control things the way God controls them, if you cannot command the respect and admiration of people like God, if you cannot win people's love and be lovable. And we get angry and we get depressed and we get sad. And out of, our, out of the depths of our hearts, our mouths speak. Words come up from your heart to your mind. And sometimes they make it from your mind to your mouth. Right? If the company's safe enough, you have more words that come out than don't, right? And you know this, right? You know, there's a lot of thoughts that come to your head and you're like, man, I'm sure glad people can't see what I'm thinking right now. Man, that would be horrible if there's like a screen on top of your head that people could read everything you were thinking at all times, right? I mean, how humiliating would that be? How horrifying, right? We filter, don't we? We filter our words. We have a, a mesh filter at the, the, between our mouth and our brain, and sometimes it gets ruptured, right? Sometimes it doesn't work as well as we want it to, 
right? And generally, that means we're in a safer environment. We're with people we feel more at ease with. We're around people that, are, you know, kind of share the same biases with us. They, they kind of, you know, it's like, and so when we, we're in certain environments, we feel more free with our mouths. This could be around your friends, right, where you say something. And you ever, you ever say or have somebody around you say, oh, my goodness, did I just say that out loud? Right? And it's almost like a little joke, like, I wouldn't say this around most people, but you guys are safe enough. Did I just say that out loud? Right? Maybe it's only when you're alone. Maybe it's only in your head. Maybe it's when you're driving your car or in your journal or just completely to yourself. See, anonymity has a way of freeing us to say the things we truly mean. If, if you don't believe that, go look at the comments section on any blog on the internet. Don't do that. There's nothing worse than the comment sections on the internet. There's a really, really thoughtful article that's posted, and then there's the comment section, right? A really, really thought-provoking, intelligent, empathetic article, and then it's followed up by all of these comments from people that are anonymous or near-anonymous, and it is just filled with the most hateful, vile, disgusting stuff. Every once in a while, I make the mistake of sliding down into the comment section. And part of the reason I hate it is that, fine, it provokes me where I can't believe I'm a nice person anymore. Because I want to smash everybody who's saying all these things. And and I want to come back and abuse them with my words and tear them down with my words. And I want to burn them down with my words. You guys, think think about how we use our tongues to boast and to tear down. We are a culture obsessed with gossip. We love talking about people, don't we? We've got entire news organizations that are dedicated to purely spreading news about people, like TMZ. That thing doesn't even exist for any other reason than to tell you who's doing what and when they're doing it and how they're doing it and who they're doing it with. And, and people just eat it up. Did you just hear who this person did with this? And did you see what they were wearing? And holy cow, this person's roots were showing. I can't believe they would go in public like that. We just love talking about people. But you don't need to go to TMZ to see our obsession with gossip. All you need to do is go to lunch after church with most people. We love to talk about people. And what it does is is it creates, and I've seen it in communities like ours, as our community has gotten larger, we've created sub-communities. Sometimes they're like little fishbowls. And in those fishbowls, everybody talks about everybody. Do you see who so-and-so is hanging out with? Do you, do you know who so-and-so is dating? Do you know how they, and, and pretty soon everybody's business becomes everybody's business. And we get obsessed with finding out who did what and who they did it with and why they did it. And, and we start feeling a little bit superior because we sure like talking about them. Fish bowls. You want to know if this is you? You want to know if you're part of this community? If a new person joins your group, if you filter your words more carefully... You've just figured out your own answer. If you filter your words more carefully when new people are around, until you find out if they're safe, until you find out if they share the same biases, until you find out. So if you find yourself filtering your words around new people, you're a gossip. If you talk more freely about people around certain people, don't, don't be afraid of that. The reality is we, we all do this. Right? And here's the thing with gossip. Gossip always bleeds over into slander. We very seldom just share information. We always share our attitude along with it. Always. 
You can't just share information. You're not just an unbiased news source. Hey, news update. Did you hear this interesting information that I'm not going to convey as interesting or even convey to you how I feel about it? No, we, we always bleed over into this is what I think about this. And oh, isn't that such a good idea that so-and-so is finally doing this? And I think it's a really bad idea that so-and-so is doing that. I, that's a mistake. Mark my words, right? In two weeks, we're going to have this conversation again, and I'm going to want you to know I was right. So remember, it always bleeds over into slander. There's an art to it, though, because we need to keep our veneer of niceness. We have to keep up this facade that, that what's coming out of us isn't as putrid as it actually is. And so we have this way of doing it, right? The South, man, they love it. Oh, his dad is such a deadbeat, bless his soul. Right? But put bless his soul in the end of anything, and suddenly it's a nice compliment instead of gossip and slander. Right? Christians do the same thing. Hey, did you hear about the... I, I guess, I, will, will you just pray with me for this person? Would you just pray? Because I think they're just making a bad decision. Let me tell you all about it. Let me tell you every detail about it. Because that way you'll pray more accurately if you really understand how I feel about them. We use our words, you guys, to slander, to demean, to ridicule, to mock, to lie, to boast, to berate, and on and on and on. And when we do this, James says, we're arsons. Our tongue's a fire. And when we speak, those words come out of our mouths and into the ears of others, and we spread that fire. We are lighting a fire. Do you see how great a blaze can be set alight by such a small fire? How much damage, how much pain, how much ungodliness. The tongue is a cosmos of unrighteousness. It is an organized system of vast destruction. And if we're honest, most of us like it. Right? Most of us like it. That's why we like it when somebody has the perfect words at the perfect time to have the perfect comeback for the perfect argument. Ooh, nice burn. You ever say that? Nice burn. Yeah, I wonder how James would take that. Nice. It is a burn. It is a burn that alights our hearts with unrighteousness. It is a burn that is an affront to the nature and the character and the glory of God. Your need to silence and defeat your enemies, your need to be victorious, your need to be bigger and and for them to be smaller, and your use of your words, even subtly, to do this. is demonic. It seems so easy because our tongues are set on fire by hell. Now, James uses the Greek word Gehenna here. And, and it's, again, one of those clear references that, that indicate James spent a lot of time with Jesus. Gehenna was, was one of Jesus' favorite words. Gehenna was a valley outside of Jerusalem that became a metaphorical picture for, for 
burning putridness because it was, a, it was where they burned their trash. It was a place of, of 24-7 fire. It stank. It smoldered. It was a place where um, during certain periods, uh, people would sacrifice their children. It was a place of, of horrific horror and disgust. It was a burning, smoldering, stench-filled pit. Gehenna. And James says, your tongue is lit on fire by Gehenna. It is always smoldering and burning and stinking. Now, how can that be when we think we're so nice? You know what I'm saying? Like, we really do think we're such nice people. How could that be an accurate description of us? Surely James is describing us on our worst day. Not our every day. Surely James is describing someone else, the person I'm going to be talking about at lunch. Not me. We have a remarkable way of not seeing ourselves. Um, I went to college in Iowa, um, having grown up in California. I always grew up, not always, most of the time in California, I grew up within a couple miles of the ocean, especially when I lived in Northern California. And so, man, I could hear the ocean. I could smell the salt water. Um, that's one of, the, one of the, the, the best memories of my childhood, honestly. I love the ocean, and, and I loved the smell of it. And after I graduated from high school, man, I just was ready to get away from home, and I had an opportunity to go to school in Dubuque, Iowa. And man, I get there. In Dubuque, Iowa, you got two things, corn and pigs. Seriously, the heartland, right? I mean, you got, and, and, and big people, these dudes, that's why they play such good football, because they work around pigs and they eat corn. And, 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 and pigs... Pigs stink. Pigs stink. I, I would go walking, and if the wind was blowing a certain way, I was like, how does anyone live here? That is horrible, especially near the factory where they process the pigs. It was bad. Bad. Like, I'm walking around, and people are like, what are you talking about? I don't smell it. I'm like, I, I, I don't believe you. I think you all have just conspired to, to just admit you don't. Well, here's the thing. By the end of the semester... I forgot about it. You know why? I just got used to it. In fact, I smelled like it. And I found that out when I went home for, for Thanksgiving. Right? And I'm getting off the plane. And everyone's like, why do you, what? What do you smell like? I don't smell like anything. What are you talking about? Right? What ends up happening is we become insensitive to what we consider normal in our environment. It feels natural. Sitting down and having a pleasant conversation with your friends, it just feels fun. Talking about people and having a few laughs, it's just fun. Sharing information, right? Talking, um, slandering, lying, boasting, it just feels fun. And so natural. James prophetically is calling us to see it for what it is. It is spiritual arson that is an affront to the character of God. It flows from your rebellion against God, and it flows out of that rebellion into damage against others. It feels natural, but it is anything but normal. It is a world of unrighteousness. 2nd look at verses 7 through 12. For every kind of burst, every burst, <laughs> every kind of beast and bird a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Because this is an issue of the heart, and not just an issue of the behavior, it is something that flows out of us. And James is making it very clear, it's not something you can tame. This is not an issue of self-discipline. Because it is an expression of the brokenness in your heart, it doesn't matter how nice you become with your words. It'll still come out of you. It'll come out in all the polite ways and all the hidden ways and all the ways you're self-deceived so you can no longer see it. It will come out of you. Right? We were created as the stewards of creation. We were created unique in all of creation. Mankind created in the image of God to be the, the stewards of creation on behalf of God, to take this gift of creation, this gift of culture, to manage it and expand it as we exercise what it means to be created in the image of God. And in that process, we have learned how to tame every creature. But we can never tame the tongue. Because the tongue is the expression of the brokenness that we can't fix. It it, it flows from inside. He says it's like a spring. Springs of water were incredibly valuable in the Near Eastern world. So valuable, in fact, they would actually form entire cities around these springs. When they found a good spring, man, they would just settle around it. Sometimes you'd find a spring, you'd get all excited, and you'd taste the water, and it was bitter. It had a high salt content or, or, or high mineral content. It made it undrinkable. It would actually turn your stomach, right? So bitter water would come up, but, but it, was, it was undrinkable. And so when you found fresh water, it was, it was, a, it was a godsend, right? You, you, would, you would protect that. Now, here's the thing. You would never find a spring that gave you fresh water, and the next day would give you bitter. And the next day would give you fresh where it would just change hour by hour. Hey, I wonder if today this spring's going to be fresh. I wonder if if I go there this afternoon with my deep thirst, if I'm going to find bitter water. A a salt water, a bitter spring gives forth bitter water. A fresh spring gives fresh water. It doesn't matter how much perfume you put on the water. It's still bitter. It doesn't matter how many filters you put on the surface. It's still poison. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's not what's out there that defiles a man. It's what's in here, and it will come out. All right, this creates a conflict for the believer, doesn't it? Because what I'm telling you is, is that our hearts are broken in ways we can't fix, and that brokenness flows out in our speech in ways that we can't control, and yet as believers, we are called to love God and love our neighbors. We cannot tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Right in verse 8, it says it is a restless evil. That word restless is the same word that's used in chapter 1 to describe the double-minded man unstable in all his ways. Our worldliness disrupts our stability and the stability of our communities and the stability of our life. We cannot, as followers of Christ, not deal with this issue or it will lead us to be double-minded people, unstable, restless in all of our ways. And our tongue is the expression of that instability. All right, there are two bad things that can happen here and then I'm going to give you what I hope is the best thing for us. One bad thing is for us to become legalistically self-condemning. 
where we just analyze every word we say, we condemn ourselves for it, we fight to put the filter on our mouths, and we know it's ineffective, and we know we can't do it, but we know we're not supposed to be bad with our words, and so we just beat ourselves up for what we've said and do our best to control what we could say. That's a losing game. That'll fill you with condemnation, and it will fill you with failure. The second thing is to push into licentious licentious self-indulgence and just say, well, I can't control it, so I might as well just say it. You know, I'm going to be true to myself. I've got to be authentic, right? I'm just a truth teller. I just say things as I see it. I just call it like I see it. And if you don't like it, then maybe you just need to grow stronger skin because, because I'm a truth teller, right? So I'm just going to say things as I see them and, and, and somehow embrace this evil as if it were a virtue, okay? Those are both bad results. There's something much better, and we find it in verses 2 through 5. Up in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. There's your solution. And you're like, oh, that's a great solution, Steve. You mean I need to be perfect? So if I'm perfect, I'll be able to bridle my tongue and bring my entire life into submission to God. All right. Well, I'll just set about being perfect then. All right. All right. Remember the word perfect. There are multiple meanings for it. This is the same word again used in chapter 1 where where James says that we rejoice in our suffering because God works in it to bring us to to perfection. It's the Greek word teleos that means completion, maturity, or wholeness. It doesn't mean that you're going to be without flaw. It means you're going to be growing into an integrity of wholeness in your faith. There is a way to combat the restless evil of your tongue. It is by growing into the maturity of your faith. We're not talking about moral perfection here. We're talking about spiritual maturity and strength. What's the measure of spiritual maturity? Humility. And how does humility always express itself in relationship to God? Faith. What we need is a faith that has developed and is more complete in its response to grace. How do we grow in our faith? By responding to grace. You don't grow in your faith through self-discipline. You don't grow in your faith by, by picking yourself up by your own bootstraps and putting together a better self-improvement plan. That's not how you grow in faith. You grow in faith by responding to grace. God has initiated toward you in love and grace. And it's only in responding to grace that you grow in faith. (laughs) Seems like I give this same application every week. Because it's all I got. And it is the only solution. You want to learn how to control your tongue? Let the grace of God control your heart. It is the only solution. It is a restless evil that you cannot tame. You can't be good enough. You can't fix it. You don't just need a little bit of help. And that is pride. Pride says, God, I'll be just like you if you just give me a little bit of help. See, grace Grace is for those that are desperate. See, this message is designed to, rec- to help us recognize that we are helpless, but not hopeless. Because it is only when we are helpless that we'll cry out for grace. 
We are helpless. You can't fix this problem on your own, but you are not hopeless because the grace of God can transform your heart. And the way the grace of God transforms your heart is as you learn to respond to that grace. As you learn to be loved by God, undone by grace, allowing him to birth within you a humility that doesn't need to defend itself or prove itself, a humility that rests in God's affirmation of you instead of in its affirmation of itself. When you have a heart that is rooted in that kind of humility, you don't need to tear people down. You don't need to be obsessed with talking about them. You don't need to puff yourself up. You don't need to platform yourself. You don't need to compare yourself. You're free to enjoy the beauty of community instead of the conflict of of competition. And when you're there, you're going to find the cure for your pride, that worldliness, and the freedom of grace. So, so one final point that's just practical. James tells us that the tongue is like a bit that controls a horse and a rudder that controls a ship. Those are small things that direct great power. So here's my final application. Push into grace, but don't be passive about it. Don't just think, okay, today I'm going to respond to the grace of God. Push into the grace of God by choosing to use your words to speak truth to yourself and to others. Use your tongue like a bit controls a horse, like a rudder controls a ship. Speak truth to yourself. C.H. Spurgeon says that we create most of our problems by listening to our heart instead of speaking to our hearts. Speak truth. Speak the gospel to yourself. Speak God's affirmation to you. Speak God's love to you. Speak the truth of the beauty of Jesus to your heart and to others. Choose to use your words to give life instead of take life, both for yourself and for others. When you find yourself feeling condemned, don't beat yourself up. I'm such a loser. I'm so broken. I'll never get this right. All you're doing is speaking the lies of the enemy into your own heart. Speak truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Praise God, there is hope for me. And there's hope for you. You just cut me off in traffic. You just took my promotion at work. You just said a rude thing to me at home. But I will speak truth and love to you. I will say the truth even if I don't necessarily feel it presently. God loves you. You are created in the image of God. I will value you and speak truth to you because it is just as important for me to hear the truth as it is for you. Speak truth in grace to yourself and to others. And it will lead your heart again and again back to the message of grace. This is how we learn to respond by listening to the truth. And we listen to the truth as we speak it to ourselves and to others. Speak grace. Embrace grace. And grace will set you free. All right, I'm going to close this word of prayer. And uh, then we're going to respond and take a little bit of time to allow God to speak to our hearts. We'll share communion together in a moment. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. That even though you see us as we actually are, you hear not just the words we say, but the meanings behind them. You, you, <laughs> you don't, you're, not, you're not put off. You're not, you're not confused by 
the deceptive ways we frame things, you see how we are constantly, restlessly seeking to exalt ourselves and tear down others, to build ourselves up and, and to be like you, and you still love us. You're not waiting for us to fix ourselves. You're not waiting for us to impress you. You're not waiting for us to get the formula right. You, you are not sitting back in disapproval, waiting for us to fix ourselves or clean ourselves up. You love us in our mess. Spirit, will you break our hearts to such a place of humility that we can receive that love? That we'll be loved exactly where we are so that we don't have to stay where we are? that you will allow us to see the reality of our brokenness, to recognize that we are helpless, but that we are not hopeless. Spirit, will you fill us with the joy of knowing that we are loved, and in being loved, will you free our hearts to love others, to not compete with others, but to have community with others, not to tear them down, but to build them up, to recognize that as I honor them, I honor you because they are created in your image. They bear your mark. Spirit, will you teach us to be a community that uses our speech to speak words of life and not words of death. A community that is drinking deeply at the fountain of grace and that we're so drunk on grace it just flows out of us to others. Only you can do this and we ask you to for your glory and our good. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.